Hi, and welcome to our newest episode of Stern Chats. I'm your host, Karat, and today I'm joined by one of our producers, Heather, who's stepping in as host. Today, we have the pleasure of speaking with Nicole Gallagher about women's leadership, a topic all three of us are very passionate about. This episode is co-sponsored by SWIFT, or the Stern Women in Business Club, which I'm also a member of. Nicole is a Stern MBA alum and a principal at Deloitte. Outside of her experience of more than 15 years leading clients within Deloitte's technology, media, and telecommunications practice, Nicole also serves in multiple talent leadership roles and advises the Deloitte Rising Leaders Collective, a program focused on professional development and network development for the rising female leaders in Deloitte's client organizations. In our conversation, Nicole shares highlights from her women's leadership workshop, provides tactical advice for how anyone can improve their leadership and communication styles, and weighs in on how allyship in the pandemic fit into all of this. Both Karat and I had the chance to get to know Nicole during consulting recruiting and are excited to share her wisdom with all of you. So with that, let's dive in. Well, hi, Nicole. Thanks so much for joining us on Stern Chats today. It is great to be here with you today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, amazing. Well, before we dive into the main topic of our conversation today, can you start by telling us a little bit more about yourself and your career path? Who are you? It's been quite a ride. So I've been with uh, with the firm uh, Deloitte Consulting for 17 years. Um, prior to that, I started my career in New York working in commercial construction management with Otis Elevator. While there, I got my MBA at Stern, uh, working on nights and weekends, uh, studying with my groups, and then joined the firm in our strategy, then called strategy and, and operations practice, now called strategy and analytics. Um, and I serve clients in the technology, media, and telecom space, working especially with publishers and information services companies. And all through my career, one of the things that I have done is uh, led in different and varied talent roles. Right now, I support our talent strategy for my industry practice, helping us adapt uh, to new ways of working. Yeah, that's amazing. I know that we've kind of touched on women's leadership. You've led some women's leadership content here at Stern. Um, it's been great to kind of read through that as an, a second year MBA, but can you tell us a little bit more about your passion for women's leadership and why you think it's an important topic to talk about? Yeah, I would not be where I am in my career without the mentorship that I received and the examples that were set for me pretty early in my career. I actually had an unfortunate mentoring experience very early in my career where the first sort of formally assigned mentor that I got very early in my career was pretty harsh. Um, she, she actually told me that I was going to have to mar- work my way through the system the same way that she did in sort of a, a, a message that felt a little bit like hazing at the time. Um, and from that point, I, I sort of committed myself that I would not do uh, what she did in that moment. And that instead, what I would do is invest in the people around me. Um, in my my first round of my career, I actually spent a lot of time with our undergrad interns. I felt really closely connected, and not just in age, um, but in terms of you know experience level and learning. And you know spent a lot of time investing in them. 
I'm still connected to them to this day. I still talk to some of them. And then throughout my career, both the examples set by the mentors and, and leaders that I've had in, in my life, as well as sort of the direct one-on-one coaching that I've gotten, both from my peers and my leaders has made a huge difference in my professional growth. Uh, and I, I can see that there are tangible ways that, that I behave, tangible things that I have learned, uh, as well as some of the softer intangible things you know, that I have benefited from. Yeah, that's all awesome, Nicole. And I personally had the chance to participate in the workshop that you and one of your colleagues led in the fall for women who were recruiting for, you know, consulting roles at Deloitte. And honestly, after that, I I was blown away. I mean, this is a topic I'm very passionate about. And what you had to share was was so impactful. So can you tell us a little bit about, you know, how you came to lead this particular workshop? And I know this is something that we chatted about on the pre-interview, but can you also share, you know, how do you make this content applicable to a wide range of women, finding some com- commonalities, but, you know, understanding that everyone's got kind of their their own personal path towards leadership? Yeah. So first, your first part was how did I get involved? Um, and, and the short answer is I was invited. So our recruiting team um, reached out to me as a, as a member of the team and you know, was looking for someone who had grown in the firm, who had sort of grown through their career, um, specifically as a woman, especially as someone who may, you know, as an alumni of Stern, um, have, have sat in your, in your shoes, have sat in your seats, quite literally, and hopefully they've replaced the chairs in the last 20 years since I've been there at least once. <laughs> and uh, they, they were looking for someone that had some lived experience that you might be able to relate to, but that, that might be a few years ahead of you that could share some examples, share some experiences. I tend to be part of my brand is that I'm, I'm pretty direct and try to be an open book in terms of answering questions, addressing concerns, sharing experiences. And so I think that that created the space for them to ask me. I think that was that was part of why they came to me. And then the, the second part of your question, I mean, you look at that room and Stern, the Stern community and the business community in general really brings a broad amount of diverse, diversity on so many levels. But at the end of the day, um, there's a lot that we also have in common. And I think sometimes identifying those things that we have in common allows us to address some of our common challenges. And I think that, you know, there, there are nuggets of wisdom that we can all benefit from. So we open the discussion in that workshop where we talk about some pretty hasty generalizations about how women lead in a lot of cases differently than men. And we frame it as these are hasty generalizations about how women lead differently than men and everybody is individual. And I think that when you accept the fact that you have individual tendencies, individual strengths, individual personality in the way that you lead, but that you understand that you may have some tendencies that are driven either by by gender because of the way you were raised or where you were raised. I mean, there are certain things that we bring to the table that are framed by our experiences from so many different levels, right? I, I behave a certain way because I am from Philadelphia. I behave a certain way because I was you know, raised in a family with a two-parent heterosexual couple, right? I behave in a certain way because I'm the third born of three children. I behave a certain way because I because I'm a woman in our society in business. And so we sort of lean into that a bit and try to give advice in a way that you can then take it and make it your own. And so a lot of that is around communication tendencies. And anytime I give advice, I say, think about it, take what works for you, throw out the rest. 
So Nicole, one of the things that I found most impactful from that workshop was when you talked about not using filler words or the way that women can communicate that undermines their confidence. So can you speak to that topic a little bit? Absolutely. You know, confidence is, is one of those things that I think we're all trying to achieve, right? And, and oftentimes we hold ourselves back with little tiny acts like language. I think that you do it without even thinking. And so just by shining a light on and listening to the way that you're qualifying your really important and impactful and intelligent things can undermine. And I think that you need to give your words a little bit more weight and give yourself a little bit more trust that the thing that you're trying to say is valuable. And it's not just another thing, or I just wanted to add, we've all you know heard about the word sorry and apologizing, right? I think that give your give yourself sort of just a, a little bit of a health check on that every once in a while. Listen, make yourself your your sort of list of words that you know are your gotchas. Not everybody says sorry, not everybody says just. In my house we have a pet peeve around the word actually. Not because it is just a qualifier, but because a lot of times it can make the other person feel really small, right? When my son says something like, this dinner is actually good, mom. <laughs> Were you surprised that it was good? <laughs> um, I think the word actually can be removed 99% of the time. It's unnecessary. And so thinking beyond the traditional filler words of ums and ahs, which can undermine what you're going to say to the other filler words that we that you go to as a person and give yourself you know a little bit of a gut check around whether whether you need it where you put it yeah well two things i want to add one is that the fun thing about recording a podcast is we can remove some of those ums <laughs> <laughs> thank goodness yeah <laughs> The other thing is that after that workshop in the fall, I went back to my emails and started actively rereading and taking out the, I just wanted to reach out. I just wanted to check in and have just, have just, have changed <laughs> the way I write emails to, I yeah. am reaching out because of this. Do you have this information for me? Thank you. So you made an impact on me and I really appreciate that. Well, thank you. It's, it's. When we have those conversations in the workshop setting, sometimes it can be hard to know what's landing and, and what people are taking away. I have found that thinking about my language is probably one of the most impactful things that I've done in my career. The value of a nice pause to catch my breath <laughs> goes a very long way. I Not something I did early in my career, and it's something that I have learned to do to get comfortable with taking a beat, taking a breath. That, that was one of the things that I changed in my communication. Yeah, that's beautiful. So the other thing that we talked about in that workshop, which I think is a really important one, is how you can support the leaders around you and understanding that there's some circular benefit there, right? Understanding that by lifting the people around you, you are supporting yourself. That's actually a, a great transition. I loved that part of your workshop. So can you tell our listeners a little bit about what Shine Theory is and why it's so important for women to support other women? The Shine Theory at its core 
is a concept that I, I can't take full credit for, but it is something that we lean on specifically in this workshop that like you talked about. It's a concept created by Amina Tu Sao and Anne Friedman. My apologies to both of them if I, if I mispronounce their names, but it essentially is a theory that centers around finding people who help you shine and then helping others shine as well, right? So it's a commitment to helping others be the best version of themselves and recognizing that that confidence that you exude is infectious, right? It builds on one another and becomes a little bit circular. So we always boil it down to, you know, the one, the one sentence, I don't shine if you don't shine, right? And, and so really taking that and, and holding yourself accountable for it. I love that. I, I love that boil down one sentence. <laughs> it helps, helps with marketing to, to make it easy <laughs> to remember. <laughs> Yeah, it makes it sticky. <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. So kind of piggybacking off of that, Nicole, could you tell us a little bit more about the confidence and authenticity that you talk about that's really the focus of your workshop? Absolutely. I think it's important to understand that you are empowering others when you think about that, right? So bringing your confidence to the table and making space for other people to be the same helps them grow and, and it becomes self-fulfilling as well, right? So the, the first way that, that I think about it is really acknowledging the ideas of others, right? So actively listening, you know, calling out great ideas, especially when someone may be talked over or ignored, as we know happens, especially in the workplace to women, making sure that you give credit where credit is due. I think that we have all been in the room when someone has said, you know, Karat, that's a great idea. Can I build on it? I, it, you just smiled when I said it, right? Like it, it is really self-fulfilling and, and really um, supportive when you help somebody understand how good their ideas are. It creates conditions for happiness, right? Which is the best we can do for our teams is to create conditions for happiness and growth. And then I think the last bit of it is often the part that becomes the hardest for people. And that is giving honest, tangible feedback. Right. So being constructive, being honest. And I think that what we often forget is that when you're being honest, you can still be kind. Right. When someone is not living up to your expectations, you can be very kind in the way that you let them know that and create a safe space for them to grow. Right. And say, I wish that you would have maybe spoken a little more in that meeting. Let's talk about how next time we can make that happen right? Let's talk about why maybe you didn't, or maybe you felt like you couldn't. And I think that helping people understand where they might've fallen short of expectations is a gift to them. And I know that that can sound really trite and, you know, it's easy to say in this very friendly environment, much harder to do in the real world. But um, again, going back to when I said the statement, you know, Karat, that was a great idea. You instinctively smiled, which I think is so incredible. The opposite can be true when you receive really constructive feedback or negative feedback. And I think that we also have to reframe ourselves to say, the person giving that feedback is trying to do the right thing for me and give them a little bit of grace to help you grow and give yourself a little bit of grace to, to be wrong sometimes or do the wrong thing and be able to say, okay, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to feel this for a minute. Maybe it hurt. I'm going to do better next time. Yeah, Nicole, I love that you're touching on this idea of a growth mindset. I think it's really important as professionals, regardless of gender identity, et cetera, we need to be in that growth mindset to kind of learn from what went well, what can we do better? 
a famous professor here at Stern, Dolly Chu, speaks about how do you like your feedback? Do you like it? Do you like your coffee black or do you like it with cream and sugar and kind of adjusting <laughs> that with your mentor or whoever's giving you that feedback? It's that's a that's a really great analogy because I usually I usually talk about uh, that in the, in the context of, you know, we all have a set of different people that we go to for feedback, right? Sometimes you go to your best friend because you right. know that they're going to give it to you really direct or you know you're going to go to a mentor that is going to give you the more cream and sugar version, right? And usually what I say is I look for the energy that I need that day. You know, if if you need to be told that you are good at what you do and you, sometimes you need that, sometimes you need a confidence boost, you have to know where to go to get that. If you need someone to put a hand on his shoulder and shake you a little bit and say, what were you thinking? Then you have to go find that, right? And and I think you need sort of like, I use two extremes there, but you need sources of, of sort of different kinds of feedback in your life, I think. Yeah, I love that. Maybe moving on to another part of feedback, I think women can potentially face backlash if they change their demeanor or language to be more confident. There could be some code switching that's involved there based on your identity. And I've heard women and frankly myself, you know, removing the word just from an email, taking out exclamation points, et cetera. <laughs> you know, how do we handle that backlash when we want to be treated as equals, come yes. across a certain way, but then not overstep some sort of boundary that's expected? Oh man, I am so excited that texting has become far more acceptable in the business world because that is like my preferred method of communication. <laughs> but no, I I hear you 100% on that one. I, I find myself looking back through my emails to make sure that I'm still in my voice, but not in a way that is going to have someone judge the communication negatively. It, and it, And I think about that I think about communication the way we think about professional attire or the way we think about professional demeanor. It's the same thing. What you don't want is for the noise to distract from the message. So finding the appropriate tone for what you're trying to do. There are messages where I use exclamation points, God forbid, emojis, right? With the right audience in the right context, it makes sense. Right? If you're trying to build excitement or you have sort of a lighthearted thing, it works. However, if I'm writing a message to a CEO, I'm probably not going to use that. Right, The same way that if I go to a black tie wedding, I'm not going to wear jeans and a t-shirt. Right, And so what, what you want to do is you want to make sure that it's still your voice. And I think you, you need to continue to be honest to yourself, but you want to make sure that your language, your choice of tone are not undermining the message. And we've proven that words like just, things like, could I just ask a question, right? Or I was just going to add, this may be a crazy idea. That one that one drives me bananas. Mm -hmm. If it's a crazy idea, why are you bringing it into the room? But I think there are places for that. In a work setting, sometimes just taking a pause, thinking through how you're going to say something is as important as thinking about what you're going to say. Think about it the way you think about, you know, the, your, the rapper, the professional rapper that you put on yourself. Um, make sure that it reflects who you are and that it meets the, the situation and doesn't distract from the message you're trying to bring. Yeah. One other thing I wanted to add to that one is there are ways that you as a, a, a leader and as a peer and as a woman can help to counterbalance that for your peers 
for and and again, a lot of times I I do think that it's important to do this for fellow women, but I think it's important to do it for everybody. Um, is to support the people around you, right? So when we think about and we go back to shine theory that we just talked about, repeat the points that other people have made and give them credit. If you see someone feeling a little uncomfortable or unsure of something that they're saying, prop them up, right? Put a little emphasis behind what they're saying. If you have, you know, the opportunity, say, you know, I would really love to hear what Heather has to say about this. We were talking about it earlier and Heather, you made a great point. Create the space for them to bring their ideas into the room. I told you guys this in the pre-interview. I often go back to parenting examples because it's so exaggerated in those cases. But you can see it when you watch a parent watching their child perform on stage. They're doing all the things they wish their child was doing. They're smiling, big eyes, looking, right? They're giving all this nonverbal encouragement, which you can do in a very professional way in a room. When somebody says, I was just thinking, or I just had this little idea, you can say in a way that doesn't undercut them, that's a great idea. Thank you for bringing it to the table. I think that that's really important. And I think that there are, you know, small acts that you can take every every single day. I know we are all completely overwhelmed in communication, um, but even just taking a moment to hit reply all and say, thanks for sending this email. This is a great idea. Congratulations on this achievement. Those things go a really long way. So Nicole, up to this point, we've talked a lot about women supporting themselves and supporting each other, but how does allyship fit into all of this? Oh, that is the zinger question. I think that when we think about how many women there are in the workforce, um, when we think about sort of how many of any one sort of identity lives in the workforce, None of them could be successful without the support and partnership of the other members of their community, right? So allyship on so many different levels is important. I think that part of it is that allyship is built on a sort of a foundation of empathy. Um, And so really understanding and putting yourself in the shoes of the other people around you. And I think that you can serve as an ally to someone that's like you. You can serve as an ally that's to someone that's different than you. You know, when we share the example of elevating somebody's voice in a meeting, I talked about that as a woman supporting a woman in a meeting, but that could be just very well supporting someone who's more junior in their career, who might not have built the foundation of confidence, regardless of their identity. I think that that is incredibly important. And I'll be the first to tell you that in my career, Some of the people that have made the biggest impact in my growth weren't necessarily female leaders. Now, there are some incredibly important female leaders in my my life, 110%. But one of my career coaches, sort of mid-level in my career, at a point where I was in high growth professionally uh, and I was starting my family, I was juggling a lot of things. We were buying our first home in the city. We were, you know, we were in sort of a, a period of emotional transition and and potentially emotional exhaustion. Admittedly, I had a career coach who was instrumental to to supporting me through that period of my life, who helped me understand how I could pace my growth and was willing to speak up when I wasn't in the room, which I think was really helpful for me. And I think to me, that's the definition of an ally, someone who's willing to speak to you, support you in person, speak when you're not in the room and advocate in a very empathetic way, whether they identify with you or not. Wow. Yeah. 
Well, Nicole, we're transitioning to everyone's favorite topic on podcasts, probably coffee chats for you. (laughs) How has the pandemic affected women identifying leaders? And do you think the working world is changing in a positive way for women? I mean, not it's all the same, isn't it? Nothing's changed. Um, I say with 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 at least an ounce of sarcasm. Um, no, I think that that the world that we're that we're operating in is in in a state of flux right now. I think there are some positive consequences that we need to embrace, and I think that there are some things that we might need to mitigate. Right. So I'll start with some of the positives. I think that, and this may be a controversial point of view, but I think that the the idea of virtual interactions has created opportunities for us. One, it's created a lot more flexibility about where I need to be and when I need to be there. I can be home, which I know space and time is, is something that we, as professional parents, moms and dads, is one of the things that we struggle with. So being able to be home is game-changing. I feel so much more engaged uh, with my with my home life, whether it's with my husband or with my children or with my pet or with my parents. I feel so much more connected to my non-office life than I ever did prior to this. And I feel like it has really proven to us that we can be flexible with where and when we're working. It has sort of just thrown the gauntlet down on that and said, I don't have to fly across the country for that one hour meeting anymore. And then the other sort of upside or, or positive is everyone is around the same table. If you are in a virtual video meeting, there are no seats along the wall, right? Yeah. There are no, there's no one sitting in the back of the room and in the front of the room. It is your videos are organized in the order that you joined the meeting, right? So if you, if you want, join early because you will be upper left for almost everybody. I think, you know, most, most uh, video conferencing platforms work that way. I think that it's it's neutralized some of the nonverbal biases that we used to have, that we have a nature as human beings that taller individuals are considered a position of authority. Everybody is the same height in a hangout or on a Zoom. Oh yeah, height's a fun one. <laughs> Nothing how tall someone is after Zoom is a fun game. It is a it really is. fun game. Everyone is the same height in a Zoom meeting, right? And so it, I, we joke about it, but I think that there are some distinct advantages to everyone sort of leveling the playing field for some of those things that we are biologically wired to think about. But then it does work against us because I think there are there's a different level of connection that you build with an mm-hmm. in-person meeting, right? Mm-hmm. There's a different level of connection that you build when you have a little like two minute chat in the hall before the meeting or after the meeting. It's a lot easier to give. We talked about constructive feedback when you're in person. And you know, if you think about the same workshop that we used to do maybe even three or four years ago, we would talk about the importance of body language. You lose all of that in a virtual world. So I think the most important that we, thing that we can do now is try to keep as much of the good that comes out of this and neutralize some of the negatives. So find this balance of adding back in person in a way that we don't eliminate the benefits of virtual and we take advantage of the benefits of in-person and we really find a way to be together when it matters and in a meaningful way. And the other thing you asked about was how is the world changing for women? Just a small question. Yeah. Um, well, I do think um, there have been a lot of inequities exposed 
which mm-hmm. we uh, talk about awareness being half the half the the battle. I do think that there is a little bit of a momentum challenge that we're starting to overcome that by having more representation of all different identity demographic identities and leadership positions it, it creates a, the space for allyship and empathy so that we're creating policies and sort of breaking down some of the assumptions around what it means to be successful what it means what it takes to be successful and I think that, you know, the, that can only bring positive change. I just hope that, you know, it, it continues on the trajectory that, that I think we've seen. I think we've had sort of an accelerated drive of that in the last two years to some, to some degree. So quickly, maybe jumping back to remote meetings and having that equity, but maybe losing parts of trust and feedback. What advice would you have for me joining in terms of building trust with my team, my managers, mentors, et cetera, if I don't have that body language, but I am the same height as everyone else? What can I do better? What should I be doing? Oh, wow. Uh, that's a doozy of a question. It's very generous to, to think that I, I might have the answer to that one. But I can tell you what I do to build connections with my team. I think that we tend to, when we're in a, a non-in-person meeting, when we're in some sort of either video or phone conference, we tend to be very agenda-driven, more so than in-person, right? I think we tend to sort of be a lot more structured for whatever reason. I don't know. I don't know why that might be. I don't know if, if it has to do if there's something. I would love for some sort of human behavior expert to look into this, but I what I have found anecdotally is that we tend to be more structured when we're in virtual meetings. And so what I would encourage you to do, especially as a newer professional, right? And you're not new, but newer, is to create space for unstructured interactions, whether it's a five-minute coffee chat or open open a space for you and your peers to come together with leaders and say, this is an agendaless meeting. Right? We're going to take 10 or 15 minutes and understand that it doesn't need to be terribly long to make a personal connection. And I think that it's important to, to create that space for conversation beyond what's on the, the formal agenda. I do think that what has happened in, in what I've seen is that we've had to be a lot more deliberate about that. Yeah, I appreciate that. And I think that's really helpful for the first year MBAs going into their internships, for people going into full-time roles. I worked in tech before, so I I was a little bit more familiar with it. But now I feel like there are these evolving norms over the past two years I've been in school. So it's helpful to get your perspective on that as well. Remember, we're all doing this. Like this is all new for all of us. Mm-hmm. You know, even even the most seasoned executive has never done, you know, we're coming up on two full years, <laughs> right? Even the most seasoned executive has not done this in, in their life. And so we're all a little bit in this together, figuring out what works for us. Yeah, I appreciate that advice. So Nicole, our last question for you is, what advice do you have for women who are junior in their career building their confidence and their leadership style? You know, if you could tell them one thing, what would that be? So everything that we have talked about today is sort of built on this foundation of, you know who you are and you know who you want to be and understanding who your authentic self is. So I would say two things. One, spend some time thinking about that, right? Understand what defines you. Understand who you are, how you want to communicate, what kind of a leader you want to be. What is that vision for who you want to become? And understand that you're probably not there yet fully. And then the other thing I would say is think about what that means for what you need to start doing now so that 20 years from now, you can say, I've been doing this for 20 years, right? So start to think about sort of who you are so that you can then practice being that authentic self. 
and know that it might change over time. I am certainly not the exact same person that I was 20 years ago, but really taking some time to explore and understand and put down on paper who you are so that you can understand when you're evolving and make it purposeful, right? Understand, understand what your authentic identity is so that you can then practice being that person. I love that this has come full circle where you kicked this off with Nicole, who are you? And now you're asking me, who am I? <laughs> I love it. That's a, that's a really, really insightful observation, Karada. I like that. Nicole, this has been such a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much for making time to be with us today. We really appreciate having you on the show. I could not understate how much I appreciate being here to have this conversation with you. I think it's such an important thing to talk about, and I love that you guys are talking about it. Thank you.